0: Hello, everybody.
1: And welcome to the Word on the Hill.
0: My name is Father Peter Musser. And
1: my name is Scott Powell.
0: And we are bringing the lank today. We are bringing the lank big time. Yeah. Oh, ha ha. Hee hee. Man, how are things, man? It's good to see you. I, I, I'm looking at you, and you look like a wilderness version of yourself. Really? Yeah, what yeah.
1: do I usually look like?
0: Um, I don't know. There's just a difference between Nerdy. like no i mean you always have that a, a even in the pasty
1: face pasty face nerd
0: no man it's like it's you have this like wilderness look in your eye like you've been in the sun and like it i heard that there's a game that you guys play up at camp called is it dirt or is it tan?" <laughs> where did you hear that <laughs> one of the counselors they were like we play a game it's called is, <laughs> is it, it dirt <laughs> or is it tan it's dirty up there it we, had, we
1: had um, our second week of camp, our middle school girls camp. Yep. We had these religious sisters come and spend the week with us from the uh, they're they're in Ann Arbor, Michigan. They're the Sisters of Mary, the Mother no
0: Mary Mother of the yeah Eucharist. the Sisters yeah, yeah. of Mary,
1: Mother of the Eucharist. Awesome, awesome community. And uh, their habits were white, so they brought their white habits, and they just were tracking around all week in wilderness, and they were filthy by the end of the
0: week. It was awesome. They were super, super cool. Dude, that's awesome. Did they like how dirty their habits were or were they sensitive? They
1: kept saying like, no, we brought the old ones, which looked exactly the same as everything else. But they planned it out. Yeah, Yeah, it was sweet. If you guys, there's a shout out. If you guys haven't checked out the Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, they're incredible. They were found in 1997 and they've got well over 100 sisters whose median age is like 28 or something. Dude, that's awesome they're really cool
0: they're gonna come visit us uh here in Boulder in are the they yeah yeah they get out town they got something going on in October yeah because when I saw them I they're hard to, to track down, down. yeah when I saw them we you they said we're coming up can we come and visit And I was nice. like uh yeah that's awesome a Peshaw.
1: <laughs> well we got a lot of outs today
0: oh my goodness yeah you guys are like uh, your voices are raised your voice your voices are exclaiming the glories of everything everything
1: good. Good ah. the podcast so what do we got you got you got one do so we got one?
0: Yeah. Leslie Alvers. I put you on the spot, sorry. But it's not, it's formerly Leslie Alvers and Amic. Well, Amic. It's this and that, isn't that it's not. It's hyphenated.
1: She hyphenated it in, oh.
0: in Facebook. So you're good. See, yeah. So Leslie, what's up? I'm so stoked that you're listening to this. This is awesome. It's like you're like a rock star in my world, so I feel like I'm 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 playing to the rock stars now. Leslie
1: said she's still wearing the red cowboy boots you made for her down in Florida.
0: But dude, no, no, or no you no. gave her. No, your I, dad made her. Yeah, well, no, you bought it at a store. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, <laughs> dude. My dad would go around to thrift stores and and buy used cowboy boots and then and then like restore them and give them to people. You
1: guys should know that Father Peter's dad actually. Builds, constructs, <laughs> what, yeah. what's, the, what's the verb you would use? Yeah, he makes. He makes cowboy boots, custom-made cowboy boots. It's he one makes. of the coolest things I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, it, dude, it's it's awesome, but he started by uh, refreshing and renovating boots, and so I had, like, trunks full of... <laughs> Of boots. Of course you did. So I would like pedal boots for my father. Nice, it's, dude. This is this is how it is, man. So you had a trunk full of boots. I had a trunk full of boots. And you know, when
1: I was growing up, my mom was a ballet teacher. She still is. And so whenever I'd borrow their car in high school, I was always like, the guy who had the trunk fulls of tutu tutus. Before I had a car. Dude, Literally that's... just packed, jam packed with tutus.
0: Which which is too tempting for so a group t- of high schoolers. It was way too. But imagine if we
1: had known each other in high school. How you with your tutus. trunk full of, of boots? Me with my trunk full of.
0: Two-tos. dude we need to we need to get we would it. have been
1: unstoppable
0: it would have been way out of hand crazy if only then that, that, that we just need pumpkins and it'll make it all good <laughs>
1: well cool other shout outs uh shout out to emily bus in illinois who um what does she say i have nothing to say about <laughs> emily but she's really cool she's awesome she's in illinois she sent us an email she's a friend of ours
0: What's up, bus?
1: I'm the bus. Uh, another shout out to Mike Parker, who actually found out about us listening to Catholic Answers. I think um, I was on there a few months ago, and he actually asked us a question. So in, in Matthew 11:28, uh, um, there, when Jesus is talking about my yoke is easy and my burden is light, so he's heard some speakers talk about the traditional interpretation of the, of the yoke being a beast of burden that pulls a cart. No. But we've been talking the last couple of weeks how that term yoke was also used to refer to a rabbi's Summary of all of the Old Testament teaching—it's both. It's—it's um, it's, the rabbis are actually borrowing from the, the animal metaphor, so they're not two different things. They're both actually correct. Um, so when Jesus is saying it, you can actually re- you can hear it both ways. My my yoke is not too heavy and burdensome like the thing that the animals have around their neck. But what is the thing that the animals have around their neck? Well, in the metaphor, it's actually the law that that people think is just pulling them down. So Jesus saying. So does that make sense? They're, they're one and the yeah. same thing. They're not two different things.
0: So that's his yoke, dude. Synergy.
1: That's his yoke. I also want to give a shout out to uh, David Hindenburg, who uh, um, has been listening since Advent, which is really cool.
0: Dude, I saw that one.
1: And somehow we have a lot of people listening in Illinois. I don't know exactly how we got this hotbed of maybe just people in Illinois like to email. Maybe that's the <laughs> – they're listening everywhere, but just the big email is are in Illinois. And they're all in central Illinois too, which is weird. Dude,
0: we you know what that's we cool. need to do? We need to go to central Illinois and do a Lanky Guys Live.
1: We've been invited multiple times. That one guy said he was going to give me the best cup of coffee of my life. Remember that?
0: Oh, yeah. Bring it on. Okay, Peoria, dude. Illinois. Peoria. Peoria. Rockford. Springfield. You, oh, dude, then then we're going to sing the entire Sufjan Stevens album, Illinois. Oh, man, Sufjan.
1: All right, seventeenth Sunday in Ordinary Time. So we're
0: going to be looking at eighteenth uh, chapter of Genesis. Eighteenth chapter of Genesis. Isn't it eighteen
1: uh, eighteen? No, it's eighteen twenty through
0: thirty two. Oh man! Did you prepare the wrong readings again? No, no, no. I, okay. I okay. I, uh, I just have been reading context.
1: Oh yeah, no, for sure. Well, the nice thing is that the church has actually been giving us context because we got uh, basically the thing that happened right before this this past Sunday yep. when the, the visitors show up to Abraham's house. So, okay. So Genesis eighteen. Then we got Psalm 138 with a lot of verses. Uh we're looking at Colossians. We've been in Colossians for a while. Colossians chapter two, verse twelve through fourteen. And then finally Luke eleven, verse one through
0: thirteen. Which one of our listeners, um, when uh when the reading from Colossians came up, started giggling.
1: Oh yes. Oh yeah.
0: I think I cut out a lot
1: of what you had said, but I kept <laughs> I kept the Colossianoscopy. <laughs>
0: Uh dude! Well, let's jump in, man. All this right, let's do it, awesome. man. Awesome! I'm I'm super excited about today.
1: Yeah. So you, <laughs> you weren't excited about the first reading. No. Well, you're getting annoyed with Abraham, which is a fair thing to do because he's a, just a, a knucklehead.
0: Dude, he pushes his luck, man. All the he's time. He's Talking to the Lord, and he is getting on it. Here's
1: the thing about Abraham. He's 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 this. Uh, his life is just on this continuum, right? It's like a heart monitor where he's just constantly going <laughs> up and down and up and down, right? Yeah. Because he finds the Lord. There's this Jewish tradition that when um, there's a Jewish tradition that there are seven different visits that Abraham gets from the Lord, with ten tests that go along with this, and they're not—they don't all show up in the Bible. But Acts quotes one of them that's not in the Bible, so it tells you the early church was thinking about this. But mm-hmm. the tradition says that way back when Abraham was still in Ur of the Chaldees, mm-hmm. um, which is present day—well, which was then Babylon, present day Iraq. That God actually appeared to him, introduced himself to him, and Abraham was so moved by the Lord that he started tearing down all these false idols around. And that's actually what forced him to leave Ur of the Chaldees uh, to go up to Haran, where, where we meet him in chapter 12. So he's doing really well, and then we meet him, and then he's supposed to follow the Lord, but then he takes his nephew, which he's not supposed to do. But then he kind of gets back in his game, and he defeats all the kings, but then he tries to sell his wife off as his sister, and then he gets back on, and he's doing well, and it's just this constant back and forth. So last week we looked at this great moment he had where he's just— He's just been circumcised. He's just undergone this tremendous pain, but yet he's showing this hospitality in spite of it. Even with his his very body bowing down and running, so he's doing well again. But now starts to head downhill.
0: Yeah, dude. I I, have to, I loved preaching last week, by the way. Yeah? On Genesis. Yeah, dude. It was it was just really fun. I just I, I thought it was it was very very pertinent. But it was really cool. But now, yeah, brother. Well, this is the thing though. Is is the in, in one of the things that the Lord does in preparation, which I'm I'm struggling to understand. I mean, I I guess. How do we know the inner thoughts of God? Because mm. we have, the, the, it says, you know, then the men set out from there and they looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do?
1: We got we to back up though to the very beginning of the reading because we can't understand the, the back and forth without the thing that comes before.
0: Which is Sarah laughing.
1: No, 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 right. You, you skipped the very first part of the reading for this week. You skipped verse 18. Dude,
0: I'm in verse 16, bro. Dude, what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were, okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool, yeah. we'll keep going. I shall, I shall I hide from Abraham what I'm Sorry, about I'm to looking do. at the readings on the internet, on the USCC. Bullet. Seeing okay. that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations oh, shall okay, bless okay, okay, themselves okay, by, okay, okay. by him. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Then then the 19, no, for I have chosen him, that they may charge his children in his house, with after him to keep the way of the Lord, doing righteousness and justice, so that <laughs> the Lord may bring him, him what he promised him. Yeah, no, you're right, you're
1: right. So here's the thing. Here's what we have to kind of get first. Um, that that word righteousness and justice in verse 19 yeah. that you quoted, um, which we skip that, don't we? We do. That's why I, That's why I thought we started in 18. No, you're I, right. I, I. It's weird when things jump. Oh, no, it just starts in verse 20. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So the, the, right before that, we get this term justice and righteousness, which is a term that actually appears all over the Old Testament, justice and righteousness, and it's always paired together. It's always a word group. And um, it, it, it's... Justice and righteousness, whenever you see those word pairings together, it, it usually has to do with, so we talked a couple of weeks ago about this concept of gemilut chesed, works of loving kindness. It's what we can kind of translate as Catholics to the, the, uh, the corporal acts of mercy, right? Showing mercy to the oppressed, social justice, you might say, right? That, that kind of a thing. And so that, that's sort of what God wants to do. But then where we pick it up in verse 20, this is where it's, it's kind of key. It says in those days, the Lord said, "The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grave that I must go down to see whether or not their actions correspond to the cry that comes against me." Right. Um, so when we think about Sodom and Gomorrah, there's there's kind of an automatic association that we have with Sodom and Gomorrah. What's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah?
0: Uh, um, A relations.
1: Yeah, it's where we get the word sodomy, right? So there's the sexual sin that we always sort of associate. But to focus on the sexual sin, I think, is actually to miss part of the point here. And what um, and not to downplay the sexual sin, but we have to see where it comes from. Oh. So in verse twenty, where it says, "the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great." The word for outcry in Hebrew is sed acha, and um, sed acha, Aha. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: learning things. Ah <laughs> yes. So sed acha,
1: which which literally means outcry. That that idea will go through the Old Testament prophets. You actually see the term sed acha. Number, it, it's you know that hymn we sing: "The Lord hears the cry of the poor." Yeah. Um, which is, comes from a psalm. That's the sedakah. The Lord hears the sedakah of the poor. Oh. And the two places I just want to point out where this appears um, elsewhere is in Exodus chapter seven. So remember when the, the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt right before the Exodus story. Yeah. God says I heard the outcry of the Israelites in yes. Egypt who were being oppressed. So what is the set akah? Well, it's it's their outcry, they're being oppressed, they're being enslaved, they're doing all this stuff, right? Yeah. But one other one, it's used against Israel at one point. So there is a set an outcry against Israel itself. Oh. And it's in the book of Isaiah, which I had my Bible open to and I lost it. Um, let me get that really quick. Tell a joke, Father Peter. So the other day, I
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I don't you hate it when somebody asks you to tell a joke and you just can't I had come it up open. It? I'm going to have to edit that Maybe not. That's okay. This I... is lots of fun. Okay. So it's in cha- it's
1: Isaiah chapter five, verse seven. This is an accusation God brings against Israel. He says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, he found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a said acha, an outcry. Oh. So right before Israel is destroyed, basically yeah. on the captivities and the exiles. God says in Isaiah, that is because he looked for justice and righteousness. But what does he find? He finds bloodshed and lack of righteousness and an outcry. So what is the outcry? The outcry is this cry of the poor who are being oppressed. So why is Sodom and why are Sodom and Gomorrah? You know, we, we hear the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I think it's it's a hard one for us to wrap our minds around. Because here's God, the God of love, the God of the universe, just obliterating two cities. From the face of the earth. And you want to be like, well, why would a good, loving, righteous God, where's the forgiveness? Where's the mercy? Right? Yeah. And this is the answer to that question. The mercy is there is there are these people being trampled down, being used, probably sexually used, being oppressed, being enslaved. And they are crying out to God saying, When will you help us? What will you do about this? Save us. Yeah. And God's answer is, okay, I'm going to step in and I'm going to punish. And so to see it as just this arbitrary, okay, God's pissed off because there's sin and they're doing this stuff and he blows them up. That's not the point. It's God's actually showing his, his mercy and his justice because God, God can't let evil go on forever. So he's showing his favor to these people who are being oppressed. And, and I mean, the key idea, again, we, we get the idea of sodomy and the sexual sin from Sodom and Gomorrah. But the, the point of that, you don't see sexual sin coming unless it's coming out of a culture that's already engrossed in itself and in selfishness and corruption. Sexual sin comes out of cultures that are self-focused, right? That are selfish, that are corrupt, that have, have let themselves go this way. Yeah. And that's what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. We, we can't be so naive to just sort of um, nail it down. Oh, it's because of homosexuality. No, where did that come from? Why is this actually happening? What kind of a culture allows this sort of thing to be produced? Well, that's the culture we're dealing with. That's what God is up to. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, it does. So I think that it throws a whole different kind of picture Toward well, this. Well, w- to me.
0: Yeah. Well, this is the interesting thing, though, is that um, we have Abraham who sees all of this. Right. And th- that he, he I mean, it's—it's it's not like you can live in a region and not understand what's going on. Oh yeah, on. he I mean, knows. We live in Boulder, and and you know, if you go up to Ward, things are going to get strange.
1: <laughs> you, you don't go to Ward. <laughs> you you do stay
0: out of Ward. You do not take that left hander. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like there's just a weird feeling, man. Like you, you go mm, and you're man. like, you don't, you're not up for the secessionist. someday
1: I'll have to tell you about the ghost dog. Oh, but that's for another time.
0: Oh, dude, I, I actually went to the I went to the Ward store the other day. Did they let you in? They did. And they it's a weird store. <laughs> but but there's a bunch of fiber arts in the back in the back and I almost really? I almost bought like a like a handwoven hat from Ward.
1: Do they even use money? <laughs> I don't think Do they you know can. they have the only honor system library in the country? No. They pride themselves on that.
0: Dude, I want to go borrow don't, a book. Don't, I don't worry. borrow a
1: book. All right, let's get back to business. yeah, this is the thing. Oh, that, and and his cousin Lot remember actually lives there. Yes. So he certainly knows it because Lot's there.
0: He certainly knows and Lot's given him a report, I'm sure.
1: Well, yeah, Lot we know I was looking at next week's reading. I wish it was the continuation of the story because that's where Locke we, comes in. But
0: we end up in Quoheleth. Quohelet. Um But anyway. So what happens is that he sees even the, the corruption there. And he's going like, he wants to intercede and say, at yes. what point do you not affect this justice that is severe? Who, Abraham? Yeah, yeah. Abraham's like, will you spare the city for how, for how many? What does he start at? Uh, he starts at 50. 50. Which normally the the um, I mean when we look at numbers in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. yeah. it's more about a, a, a qua- quality, quality versus yeah. a quantitative reality. So, but this see- this still this feels pretty quali- quantitative. Quantitative, yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
1: it is. I mean, here here's the bottom line with this. There's there's two things I want to point out here. Number one, um, is it possible for God to change His mind? Because this happens at least three times in the Bible. Remember, Moses goes back and forth with God. Seems to change his mind. Jeremiah goes back and forth with God. Here Abraham goes back and forth. Well, hey, you know, let's bargain a little bit. So is it possible for God to change his mind? No. No, fundamentally no, especially for the Jewish people. I mean, this is the idea. God is. It's not he was or he will be. He simply is. And so God, by definition, is unchanging. And so if God cannot change and cannot change anything about himself, his mind, um, then what is he doing? Well, this isn't God trying to have his mind changed. This is God condescending. I mean, who's who's different by the end of the story? Has God changed and understood something new, or has Abraham changed and understood something new that he didn't understand before?
0: I choose option B. Option B. <laughs> ding ding ding.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, Abraham, I mean, he's what he's doing is he's letting Abraham in, and it's kind of beautiful that he allows Abraham to do this. I mean, it, it's my uh, my our, our both of our old teacher Tim Gray used to give the example of, you know, if you um, walked into a room and you saw somebody just. Speaking baby talk to the floor, just going, goo goo, to, to the floor? Well, just to say, you didn't see that there was actually a baby down there. Oh, I was... You just saw a person st- sort of speaking baby talk. And then you walked in a little further and you're like, oh, there's a baby down there and he's talking baby talk. It would just sound like gibberish and just be, be strange that a person is talking this way unless you understood, oh, they're actually condescending, not in a negative way, yeah. but they're condescending to this small child and they're trying to speak in a language or in sounds that this person will, will be able to grasp and understand and enjoy, right? Yeah. Which is what God is doing here. It's not that... Abraham's changing his mind. It's that God is condescending. I'm like, okay, let us go for this. Let's let's go back and forth. Let's see what happens here. He's entering into this, which is really kind of beautiful. Anyway, by the end, it's Abraham who now understands the ways of uh, the ways of God in a new way,
0: which I think is actually also a really interesting thing because it 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 lets us enter into the mind of God. Yes, exactly. Because it helps us to understand some of the vision of what God has. Yeah, and which is the argument. One righteous person in a neighborhood is absolutely transformative. Well, ten. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is, is that what the, is that the number they? <laughs> end the, end up? The, 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 well, no, I'm just saying. He, um, I'm just kidding. No, yeah, 10, I'm just I kidding. I'm just, kidding I mean, I'm just kidding. What what, what ha- what's happening is that, is that the Lord is like looking, and and we're, we're finding like He's pushing it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He didn't push it past ten though, which is just funny. Wait, I, that, it does he,
1: always make me wonder why not? Why didn't he push it past ten?
0: Because he didn't see Spinal Tap. <laughs> and these amps go to 11. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great poll. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I just have to go there. And I mean, you.
1: even though we, he's kind of let God in onto what he's doing, um, th- it hasn't happened yet. Because he, after this, I mean, so what's going on? Remember, it's Abraham going to the city with the uh, presumably the angels that came to visit him last week, right? only two of them though. Yeah, yeah, remember, well,
0: we we learned that in the first verse of
1: chapter 19. Yeah, so Raphael leaves. So there's there's these visitors and and what's God doing? Well, God says in the beginning, right? He I'm going to go down and see whether or not their actions correspond to this. So what's he going to do? Well, these angels are going to represent the the stranger, the foreigner, right? The the one to whom um I have this written down much more articulately, but I can't find where I wrote it. But he, he's basically going to go down and he's going to represent the stranger, the foreigner, the ones that throughout the rest of the prophets, God constantly asks Israel to care for. You have to care for these small ones, these lowly ones. That's what the angels represent. And what happens to them? Well, they basically get taken and, and people try to take advantage of them. And it's a terrible situation. So, I mean, you have your answer there. God actually doesn't just blow them off the face of the earth. He, again, sort of in a, in a certain sense, becomes incarnate. Not, not in the full sense, obviously. But he goes down and he sees, okay, I want to see what they do to me which is all pointing ahead to what's ultimately going to happen. I mean, Israel does the same thing and falls into similar sins, and God will eventually say, what? Well, I'm going to become incarnate again, and I'm going to go down among them, and I'm going to see what happens. You know, he knows. Yep. So it's all kind
0: of a neat foreshadowing as well. You? I will give thanks to the Lord in Psalm 138. But why?
1: Wait, what? Huh? Oh, yeah. What's the responsorial part, though? I don't know. Oh, you don't have it in front of
0: you. you I, I I have the You're not uh, scripture. At your interwebs. I, have the, I have the real scripture. You in have in the actual. I, I have the internet version. <laughs> which is nerdy.
1: No. So the response is it comes from verse three. Lord, on the day I called for help, you answered me. And there's your oh. tie-in, right? Because yeah. what's the psalm saying? When I said Achad, when I cried out, you answered. Yeah. And if you don't understand kind of the whole picture of the Sodom and Gomorrah story, the yes. psalm actually doesn't make that much sense. Because what are the people in Sodom, they're crying out for God to have mercy. And so if God will actually have mercy on them and protect them and stand up and be a warrior for them, then he's going to do the same for us, which is what the psalm is ultimately pointing to.
0: Dude, you know, if you think about it for a second, this is, this is a little bit of a struggle. Okay. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. And mercy. And that's right. everybody. Well, when, I mean, yeah. I mean cuz there were or, or at least a few people that were saved. Yeah. Cuz he we, well, lot is saved. Lots saved. His wife's not. His not. Bummer, she's, <laughs> she was pretty salty though. <laughs> oh. Oh. This is the thing is that, is that um is it actually sometimes the Lord's mercy is is meted out in a pretty intense way because it's it's actually freedom because the damage is so intense. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think about that.
1: I mean there is a certain amount of mercy there. Too. I mean, if you have a culture that is just so far gone, and their influence is one that they're going to actually lead others into the same sort of sin, what's what's better, allowing them to live so that the value of life, or actually just stopping them so that they can't corrupt and bring others down? I mean, there was a question that was asked once, and I take this for what you will. I think it was. uh, I want to say it was Eli Wiesel who wrote that that great book *Night*, the, the Holocaust
0: survivor. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know if it was him or not, but I'm, I'm reminded of him. But
0: he he basically Mo- most people say Eli
1: Wiesel. What did I say?
0: Eli Wiesel. Well, they're saying it wrong. <laughs> you had you had good. You had a really good pronunciation. Thanks, man. Mine wasn't very good. No, it was
1: good. But he said something. I think it was him. Somebody can email me and correct me and tell me stupid things. But. Basically said, people either came out of the Holocaust in one of two ways: they were either incredibly strong in their faith, mm-hmm. or they lost their faith entirely. Um, nobody was nobody was uh, lukewarm. And so, I've heard someone I've heard people ask the question: you know, what is God's mercy in in the Holocaust? Say, could it be His mercy to allow someone to lose their life in a state of innocence and 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 love and goodness and beauty, rather than live and become embittered and angry and hardened? Where's where's the mercy? Could it be actually allowing the person to come to him while they still have that innocence and that love? It's an interesting question, but it kind of changes the idea of what is what is God's mercy actually, and it, it raises the question here.
0: Yeah. Well, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Verse eight in this uh, in this Psalm, Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of Your hands. No. Yeah. I am yours. Do with me as You please. Yeah, and, absolutely. And you, did we have a purpose? We fit.
1: That's true. And actually, if you read on, that, that toward the end, it says, your right hand saves me. What, do you know what a right hand always represents in the ancient world? No. It, re- it represents the strong hand, the warrior's hand. That's the one that you would hold the sword in. So the right hand, which is saving us, is actually the warrior's hand, which will kill if it has to, and it will, it will go into warfare, which is what he's done in Sodom and Gomorrah. So the right power hand, the military hand, is the one that's actually saving us somehow. So even the psalm sort of lends itself to this this what seems like a paradox. Well, it is a paradox. What seems like an oxymoron, but it's it's still they're both kind of held in tension somehow.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's interesting.
0: When I was growing up, somebody called you an oxymoron is because you didn't know how to wash your face. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I don't think they sell clean anymore. Do they not? I don't know. No, I bet they do. Yeah, probably. I don't know.
1: I don't know. Cool. Dude. Colossians. Colossians. Colo- Wait, what is it? Coloss- Coloss- Colonoscopy. This <laughs> sc- could be colon. Yeah. Col- Colosianoscopy. I, I literally oscoby. couldn't
0: think of it. Dude, it's 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 Colin Powell. Oh. oh. Do you
1: remember that old Saturday Night Live skit with Super Colon Blow?
0: Oh yeah yeah. You'd 100. have to eat two hundred bowls. You know, I think it was it was like you'd have to eat five thousand <laughs> bowls to equal the fiber of this Super Colon Blow. Yeah. Oh yeah. You'll be on the toilet for a week.
1: Amen, man.
0: Toilet humor. How come we were we were uh, okay. So we're in verse 12. <laughs> I'm just gonna so back to I'm verse... just skipping all of whatever that was just about to happen.
1: It's all right. Let's leave it there. Yeah, so Colossians. Um Colossians, well, what do you have to say about Colossians? Because <laughs> I can't find the connection here. I think it's a great passage. I think it's beautiful oh, about baptism which well, no, okay. No, I did I actually before we while we were eating our pizza before this, I did find a connection. So here's what it says. Brothers and sisters, you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And even though you were dead in transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he brought you to life along with him. And he's forgiven our transgressions. Um, you were uh, in the transgression of the uncircumcision of your flesh. What do you think that means? Um, What's the uncircumcision of their flesh? Because I was thinking about that this morning and I started reading some commentaries. I I started thinking it was what much more like esoteric and spiritual than I think it actually is.
0: They literally just were not signed under the covenant? Yeah, I think they were Gentiles. They were non-Jews.
1: And under the the law, being uncircumcised, I mean, you're not in. You're out of the family. You're out of the covenant. So your uncircumcision was this mark of your transgression. It was your mark of being outside. Um, There is, I I mean, I wonder what's going on here. I mean, here is God in the first reading and then referenced in the second reading hearing the outcry of the poor against those who have greatly transgressed him. Mm. And there's, you, you do get this idea that transgression in the Old Testament is just dealt with differently than transgression in the New Testament. Because in a certain sense, we all deserve to be obliterated from the face of the earth like Sodom and Gomorrah. Perhaps these Gentiles did as well. I mean, I, I, Colossae wasn't as bad as someplace like Corinth, right? Where they were doing things far worse than what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet Corinth now happens to be one of the you know we have two books in the Bible based on this church that thrived in the city of Corinth, which was like a Sodom and Gomorrah for Pete's sake.
0: Yeah, well, you know this is this is actually where I ended up as as I was concentrating as I was getting context. You go to you go to verse eight, and it says um, it says don't let anybody make a prey of you by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the universe. And not according to Christ, and so there's a, there's a certain sense in, in which the elemental spirits it, it's a you can you can think about it. In, in so, do you way. know what that
1: actually says in Greek? It says the RSV has "Don't let anyone make a prey out of you." In Greek, it actually says "Don't let anyone kidnap you." Oh, which I just think is more to the point.
0: Yeah, don't let anybody kidnap you by weird philosophy and empty deceit and the elemental spirits. Hmm. Elemental spirits are really connected with a, a paganism. It, it's yeah. it's deifying. A created reality. Yeah, totally. And so, so these elemental spirits of fire and wind and earth and all, all of this stuff—it's—it's it, saying that there's something fundamental inside of us. I mean, we, we really—we um, are made of dirt, and yeah. unto dirt we will return. Um, but but if if you start to attribute to the created what belongs only to the creator. Yes. Then you start to look inside of yourself, and you you forget that you're actually meant for a no more noble reality. Yes, the the that you're journeying towards, that you're a pilgrim and a stranger and a sojourner, n- yeah. not actually intended. And so, yeah. as he, as he's talking to them, he's like like the punishment used to actually go right at the. It, it was a mark in the flesh, yeah. to to say these these desires. When you look at your wee wee, you're gonna <laughs> have to. You're gonna have to remember that you are not a prey to your base carnal desires. I, yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's
1: true. It's weird to say wee wee, but that, but. I don't know. I'm trying to be. True. I'm trying to be like. No, it's good. G rated. That was G rated.
0: Well, you. I don't know. It was PG. PG.
1: No, it's true. I. I mean, that's and that's important
0: um and and so 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 what ends up happening is that we look at Saddam Gomorrah yeah we look at the, the these these cultures and they actually have become a prey to the philosophies and these empty desires and these these. And and to actually go towards the base realities rather than actually something much more noble and yeah. lofty, and and that and that's why it's it's like once you've totally surrendered to the base realities, it becomes it becomes hard to actually recover and to reorient your mind towards who who you really are and who God really is. Right. But I mean,
1: the the way that Paul wraps up this passage, I mean, if when we inevitably do fall to those things and become kidnapped. I mean, what happens to those transgressions? Well, in Sodom and Gomorrah, those transgressions were basically, you were obliterated because of them. Yes. What does Paul say at the end here? It says he also removed it from our midst, nailing it to the cross. What happens when Christ is nailed to the cross? We're set free. What happens to Christ? He dies. He is obliterated, like Sodom and Gomorrah are. So what Hmm. happens to the transgression? He freely takes it. And says, "Yes, you were guilty of this. Oh, I have free will, will. I mean, the obliteration is there. This sin is sin, and be, if God is good and if God is love, then sin can just yeah. go be perpetuated and say, oh, no, it's fine. I'll just forget about that. I'll turn a blind eye to that.' No, it has to be dealt with. Yes. How is it dealt with? He says, well, I will deal with it, yep. and I will still obliterate, and I will be obliterated along with it. But then I'll come back, and then there's there's another half to that story."
0: So, you. yeah, dude. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah. yeah so I Luke s- Luke Luke I am your father Luke
1: so there's lots we can say about Luke um, here's how it
0: starts Well, I mean dude come on dude I just like dropped we're talking about the Our Father. I talked about the oh, Our I Father. I didn't and connect I, and it, it. I didn't
1: think of the Our Father. Yeah, I was looking past the Our Fathers. I am
0: your father, Luke. I mean, oh, come on. No, that's hilarious. A, thanks. It is. It's a ride. Yeah, great. No, it really is. That was that was <laughs> good. I'm sad I missed it. <laughs> you all laughed, I'm sure, in your cars. Yeah. Avery drinking your coffee. Well, the people who actually read the readings, which we want, I want to encourage y'all. Yeah. You're gonna get like a, even a lot more if you read the readings before totally. here.
1: Yeah, don't. I mean, if you have a choice of listening to us or reading the readings, read the
0: readings. Oh, always, and then listen to us because it's gonna be it's gonna be way it's gonna be way more fruitful. Because other than li- listen to us, and we're like, I'm like talking about stuff <laughs> that you are.
1: All right. So Luke 11, chapter one. Jesus was praying in a certain place when he had finished. His disciples came to him. One of his disciples came. Said, Lord, teach us how to pray just as John taught his disciples. And this is where we get uh, the, Jesus giving the Our Father prayer. It's a slightly different, it's a slightly shorter version than Matthew gives us
0: um but one thing that means that means luke was wrong and he oh did, he, no did, luke wasn't inspired he didn't listen to jesus when he this, got the, when he got the big lessons on, on how to like pray <laughs> dude whatever uh, whatever the strain was dude he just missed it can you believe that
1: you know what's kind of funny though so this is a stumbling block for people I, the fact that something like the our father is slightly different in matthew than it is in luke
0: and, I, and i'm being I, no no i am just did, doing it but it for you i, you know, I, 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 I
1: but it raises an important point it does cuz you got to wonder i mean well okay why is it different in luke cuz this is a prayer that we pray all the time so which one's who's right who's wrong um you know it could be that that luke has has spliced some things together or it could be for Pete's sake i mean how many times do you give the same homily any given sunday
0: i mean i can give it up to well, canonically, I'm supposed to only give it three times, right? So you better but put that on the podcast. <laughs> but you know, if
1: things. The point is, you'd give it multiple so, so, times. Yeah, sometimes. And is you give it, it up word for times. word every time?
0: Yes. Uh, nah, just uh, kidding. Never. It's never word for word. I mean, it's you the same are, homily, it, At it's heart.
1: So I mean, could it be that Jesus actually taught people to pray multiple times? He had three years for Pete's sake, in which he was going around. I mean, this is the same thing. I wonder this about the the Sermon on the Mount versus the Sermon on the Plain. Right. Could it be? I mean, Jesus is going around for three years teaching people. Surely he gave a similar teaching more than once. Right. Does it mean the Gospels are in conflict with each other? No, absolutely not. It means that Luke is hearing this the way that he heard it. And it could be that Jesus taught this multiple times. And the content's the same. I mean, it's all there. But the thing that's interesting about the Our Father prayer, every word of the Our, every line of the Our Father prayer actually relates back to the Exodus story. Uh, I actually read the Gospel first this week, and I was wondering if there'd be some relation to the Exodus and the readings, and I, really? I, I don't find a direct one. But every single every single line, I mean, so Father, the only time that God was referred to as Father in the Old Testament, there were there were rare occasions when God was referred to as Father in the Old Testament, and they were it was only used in reference to the Exodus, because remember it was in the Exodus, in Exodus chapter four, yeah. when God revealed Israel to be His firstborn son, oh. so he essentially sets himself as Father. And so a couple other times when the Exodus is referred to, God is called Father or Father, the Fathership of God. So for a Jewish person, hearing God called Father yeah. is an automatic association with the Exodus. What's the Exodus? What's the moment where God set his people free from slavery, right? Which is which That's, is what God's leading us to. Wow, cool. So hallowed be your name, the next line. When do we have God's name revealed for the first time? Oh, in uh, Burning Bush. Yeah, in the Exodus story again, right? Yeah. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day your daily bread, What a reference to the manna. manna. It literally in Greek it says our bread for today. Um, St. Jerome translated yeah. this as give us today our super substantial bread, <laughs> which I always, I don't know exactly how he came to that, but I always like that translation because it's more than just bread. Here's some bread, have some bread.
0: Yeah, he 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 liked the banana bread. Ah, manana uh, man, witch. Yeah.
1: Um, and forgive us our sins or our debt. Oh, and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is in debt to us. Do you remember the the um the tradition of the jubilee year?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, when all debt was forgiven. Which which is funny because, dude, I was thinking about this. I was looking around, and I I don't know a time where you actually see in the Old Testament people go for the the jubilee like only two times. Yeah, that that's where I'm like I'm like this is held up as this ideal, but they fail in the jubilee pretty seriously. We should talk about this sometime. This is this is a profound. We don't have time to go into this, but
1: no, this is huge. It's commanded back in Leviticus. Yeah, and um, you don't see it ever happening. Actually, the terms justice and righteousness, which we talked about at the beginning. Yeah, that's code word for the year of jubilee. And what's the jubilee year? Basically, you release debt. You release all slaves and you give back land. Land, yeah, it's everything. Which is, well, it's it's the exodus again. Why do you do those things? Because at, when they're getting this law, they just came out of the exodus. When God released them from slavery, he released their debt to the Egyptians and he gave them the promised land. Mm. So God's saying, okay, if I'm forming you into this kind of people, you should do it for one another. Mm. So they were to do it every seven years. Now, like you said, it doesn't happen. You only read about it. You read about it once with... It's either Saul or David. I think it's David executes justice and righteousness or justice and equity.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is a code word for jubilee. Um, and the only other time I think you see it is in Ezekiel chapter 37. Is that right? No, or Jeremiah. No, Jeremiah. Jeremiah e- chapter 37. Ezekiel 36. It's not Ezekiel at all. It's Jeremiah.
0: Whatever. No, no. Wait. <laughs> You're oh. just acting like a CEO again. No, all you're, all, on, you're, all you're concerned about is prophets. My prophets. Ah, come no, on. But it shows up
1: toward the end of Jeremiah, and here's what okay, happens. So uh, the king, the, the last sitting king, I think it's Zedekiah, sees the troops of Babylon on the horizon. So the prophets have been shouting, saying, if you don't clean up your act, you are going to get destroyed. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, you're going to lose Jerusalem. Everything's going to go down. They're seeing the troops of Babylon on the horizon. Yep, And Zedekiah freaking out. It's like, oh no, what do we do? The prophets were serious. (laughs) This is actually happening. Uh, uh," And he looks around and he's like, okay, we haven't done the Jubilee year in a really long time. (laughs) We neglected. He basically says, we neglected this. We haven't done it. So he's like, okay, quick, everybody, release your slaves and your debt and we'll see what happens. And so they they all actually formed this covenant and they have a Jubilee year and they released their slaves and they released the debt and everything else. And then if you keep reading, it says they all, once they all kind of got sick of cleaning their own toilets and making their own meals and stuff, It says everybody took back their Hebrew slaves. And it's at that moment that God basically steps in and says, okay, you have neglected the Jubilee year. You haven't done it. You've ignored it, which is one thing. But it's another thing to then do this and then renege and take it back. And God says at that moment, this is the key to everything in the Old Testament. He says, because you have done that, I'm going to release you to the Babylonians and to the sword. And I will set you free to their power and i will basically reverse the jubilee year so you will be in debt you will be enslaved and you will lose your land
0: oh so he reverses the whole picture because like you pointed out they didn't actually do it which is so the, the our father is actually the inauguration of the jubilee because i don't think anybody even heard the words of the jubilee until jesus shows up actually in the
1: gospel of luke remember when he reads in the synagogue in chapter 4 yes it you're in the, year to the lord. Of favor of the lord is, and this is in your midst that's jubilee language. which everyone's like wait a second the jubilee it's back and now everything i think everything in the gospel of luke in some way relates back to this theme of jubilee
0: which which is phenomenal which yeah. which, I, yeah. which i think is actually part of the reason why we're ba- we're back with abe is we're living a warning of what does it look like to be enslaved and what yes. is the fruit of that yes. enslavement versus the yes. fruit of not engaging this yes. enslavement. We look at um Colossians and you look at the fruit of, yeah. of this slavery and this this kidnapping by philosophy and elementary yeah. spirits. And he, he's saying, no, don't renege on this. Actually come and enter into this and let the kingdom actually take fruit and take hold and be inaugurated. But this is the beauty of the new kingdom that Jesus has established. Because I mean, think about this. Jesus
1: tells the people around him, hey, I'm inaugurating a new jubilee year. What's the jubilee? Well, it's where you release all the debt, all the slaves, and you give back land. What's the status of Israel when Jesus says this? Well, they don't have any land. It's owned by the Romans. They're in debt to the Roman government up to their ears, and they're essentially political slaves. Yeah. So in the midst of political slavery, no land, and huge taxation debt... Jesus says, I'm setting it all free, which tells us what? It's really not about politics. It's not about the plot of land that you own in your backyard. It's about a much deeper spiritual reality. So for us, we can live in a culture that is crazy and that is doing sinful things, and we can be distrustful of our, of our government and the people around us, and we can realize, no, the presence of God is actually still among us. The kingdom of God is come among us, even if we don't have a Christian president, even if we don't. I, I don't know if Obama's Christian or not, but in his heart, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Because we look at the world around us and we're like, "Well, how can we have the kingdom of God when all these things are sort of intention, all this sin is going on, and the culture of death, and the government, da 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 da." Well, Jesus is saying, "No, it's fully possible. You don't need those things. God is going to work beyond those things, which is really reassuring, I think."
0: And even actually take those those oppressive realities and transform them into the the uh, the seed of the church, the the reality of uh, of what we live. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Boom. Boom. One last thing on Luke, unless you have something else. That parable he kind of gives. Uh, he says, he said in the to them, suppose one of you has a friend who goes to him at midnight and says, give me some loaves of bread. You know, I have nothing yeah. to give this friend of mine. Um, and he says in reply, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My kids are in bed. I can't give you anything. And he doesn't give up to give the visitor loaves. Um, he will, g- uh, if he doesn't give up, get up to give the visitor the loaves because of his friendship, he will get up to give him whatever he needs because of his persistence. Yes. So there's this weird um, passage, there's this weird parable in the gospel about persistence. And what I think of when I hear this persistence in prayer, which is what this parable is about, I think of the outcry and I think of the sedakah. Oh. And God will hear the outcry, just like he's going to hear this guy banging at the door of his friend. Oh. He's going to hear the outcry of the need, just like he has all through history. God will always hear it. And I think that's what the tie-in is then with this
0: gospel. <laughs> you. Dude, you just like touched my heart. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Like the, the, the truth is, is the Lord hears our outcries. Yeah. He, he, and, and he actually is bringing redemption and, and that you, you don't have to lose hope even though his, his timing is not our timing. Right. And like, and like the, our, the perseverance in our prayer actually does bear fruit. And I'm just thinking of things in my own life. Like, dude, the perseverance does bear fruit. Don't despair. Like, right. cause, that, cause dude, we're here. It's on. We are in the new age. Boom. Boom. In your, in your face. In your face, old age. Yeah. Cool. Gosh, you guys, it was good. That was, Scott, I think you're cool, man. I think
1: you're cool, Father Peter.
0: I think you guys are cool. I Thanks think, for hanging out with us today. Yeah, yeah totally. We lo- lo- loved it, and we hope you got a good workout in, <laughs> and uh, we hope you enjoyed your commute. Oh, yes. We, um, we hope you enjoyed working on your CNC machine. Doing your
1: renovations of your house or building your spaceships in Russia.
0: Oh, yeah, and training astronauts in training Kazakhstan. Astronauts. Whatever you're doing. Dude, we're just... just keep on doing it, man. Yeah, now. I'm just thinking... Think about the multitude of activities. I know. It's kind of cool. We're going to leave you on this note. <gasps> Goodbye. <laughs> we're praying. Pray for us. See you next week. week. Peace.
1: The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.